Let's pray together. God, I pray that you use our time together this morning for your glory. I pray that above all else, the gospel is proclaimed and the truth about who Jesus is, is evident. So Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, as, as Mark read and as we sang about, that we are adopted as sons and daughters, that we are children of God for us who are in Christ. So I pray that you use me this morning to speak your word. I pray that again we're encouraged by it, can take it to heart, can be convicted by it if needed, and ultimately draw us closer in our relationship to you. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to John chapter 8. We're going to be finishing up this chapter. We've been in it for a few weeks. So John chapter 8, and we'll start at verse 31. John 8, verse 31. And as you're turning there, I don't know if you can think of any movies or TV shows, but there are some that start off by showing you the ending. It's a really interesting strategy to captivate and to draw the audience in. The very first scene of what you're seeing is actually the ending of the story. And what it does is it stirs up excitement, it stirs up an interest as you see how the story unfolds and how the story uncovers and it turns into the ending that you started with. And I couldn't really think of any movies besides, uh, well, Thor was one of them. He was captured by the bad guy, and he's, not, he's, like, he's like chained up. He's like, you're wondering how I got here. And then it rewinds back to the beginning. But maybe there's a, a TV show or a movie that, that fits better that you've seen. It starts with the ending first. So in John chapter 8, the way I want to start is by looking at the ending. The chapter ends with this in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Over the last few weeks, we've seen the religious leaders plotting. Right? They're, they're scheming, they're thinking of a way to try to silence Jesus. Whether by arresting him, by having traps for him set up, putting him to death. Their thoughts and their plans and their threats have just become action. Right? Instead of planning of trying to kill Jesus, we read they actually went and they picked up the stones and they were going to throw them at him. And I want to re rewind back to verse 31. And I want to see how this ending comes to be. And I want us to feel the tension build up between Jesus and the Jews as we read this passage together. So John chapter 8, verse 31 is where we'll begin. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let me stop here for a few minutes. 
Here's a little bit of a recap. Jesus, in John chapter 7, He made His way up from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, which is a seven-day feast or celebration. And halfway through that, Jesus enters the scene teaching in the temple. And because of that, we read that the people are divided. Is he the Christ? Is he, is he the prophet? Is he, is he just a man? Or is he, is he our enemy? Is he a heretic? There's division. Then on the last day of the feast, during the water ceremony, Jesus preaches this. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And as a result of that, we read that there's further, more division. Then, during the lamplighting ceremony in John 8, verse 12, Jesus preaches as the lamps are being lit, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And what's the result of that? Division. Further division. And in those two statements that Jesus makes as he interrupts those two ceremonies in the water and in the lighting, he's making a statement that he is God. He's making the statement that he is the Messiah. He is the one the Old Testament prophesied about. That he is God eternal. And now we get to these verses that we just read. Clearly the crowd listening is still divided on Jesus. There are some who absolutely reject his teaching. And there are some who are curious, who are listening. Listening and wondering, could this be the Christ? Right? There's, there's still this division among the people. And this brings us to our first point together, if you want to follow along in your, in your outline. Jesus tells us the marks of a true disciple. The marks of a true disciple. In verse 31, it's those who abide in His Word. He says, if you abide in My Word, you truly are My disciples. The word abide, it means to remain, to stay connected to, to continue. The best example, really Jesus gives it, but I'll, I'll steal it and put it into modern day. If you look outside at these branches, and maybe it's a bad time to say this because all the trees are dead, but in the summertime when the trees are flourishing and they're, they're getting nourishment through the roots, if you chop a branch off and put it on the ground, it's going to die. Why? Because it's no longer abiding and connected to the source, the tree. To abide means it's an ongoing practice. It requires perseverance. And that word perseverance, I love the definition. It says, one who's running a marathon. It's, it's, it's to, to keep enduring, to endure, to keep going. Think of like the Energizer Bunny. I might be dating myself. I haven't seen that in a while. Maybe they stopped with that advertising. But it keeps going and going and going. Right? It's not just saying, Jesus, I believe your word. And then walking away, not changed, not doing anything. Rather, it's not just a declaration, but it's rather a decision to stay obedient, to follow Jesus daily, to desire to be connected with our Lord and our Savior, to abide in His Word. And we look and we read this, and, and how do we do this? And, and it is an obvious answer. And it is the, the, the Christian church cliche. How do we stay in God's Word? We read it. It's not like this mind-blowing statement but to study God's Word, to read it, to memorize it. The second way, how do we do this? We obey it. We allow God's Word to transform our hearts, to transform our minds, to make us more like Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Bring us joy. Draw us closer to God. See, the Pharisees had the first part down. They knew God's Word. 
they probably knew the Old Testament better than anybody of, any of us in this room. They knew it, but they failed in actually allowing it to shape their lives. They, they, they failed because of their pride, their arrogance, their selfishness. They didn't allow it to transform them. They rejected Jesus and His Word. The second mark of a true disciple, Jesus says, is those who know the truth. That's verse 32. He says, and you will know the truth. So far in speaking to this crowd, Jesus has said this phrase twice. In, verse, in chapter 7, He said, He who sent me is true. And He's talking of God the Father. And then in chapter 8, again, Jesus says, He who sent me is true. Jesus is saying that God the Father who sent Him is true. He is the truth. He is the source of absolute truth. Every time the leaders attack Jesus' words, His preaching, His trustworthiness, Jesus uses this phrase as His defense. I'm speaking the truth because He who sent me is true. Then my words, Jesus' words, are truth. And a little later in John's Gospel, Jesus will say this to His prayer to God the Father. In John 17, 17, He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus affirms that the word from God is the truth. And then He'll also say in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So not only does Jesus say God's word is the truth, but He also says that He's the truth. And here's our interesting connection, and maybe you're picking up on it. In John 1.1, 1, 1, what do we read? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the Word. He is the truth. He is God. As I was just reflecting and trying to connect these, these puzzle, not puzzle pieces, but just make these connections, it's an amazing statement that Jesus is saying. He's the source of truth. Why? Because He's God's Word incarnate. He's God in human flesh, Creator who enters into creation. And this is the, the conclusion. To know Jesus is to know the truth. There are no other religious figures worth following because they do not have the truth. It's interesting. Most religions or religious leaders will say, you have to do this, you've got to do that, and then you've got to hope for this, you've got to hope for that, and, and th these are the ways to, to, to do good, and these are the ways to get to heaven where Jesus makes it and says, no, no, it's me. I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It is Jesus alone, God who came down, took on flesh, pursued His creation, in love died on the cross for our sins. And the promise that we read in John's Gospel and in the New Testament is all who believe in Jesus will have life. That is the truth of the Gospel. So what do we see? Marks of a true disciple, those who abide in His words, they connected to. Those who know the truth, why? Because they know Jesus. And the third is this, they're free from sin. Jesus says in 32, and the truth will set you free. Now Jesus is talking about the spiritual freedoms that we have in Him. The crowd thinking physically, they're confused by Jesus' offer. They go back to their father, their, their ancestor, their descendant, Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. I, I, my mind always says that. I don't know why. but And they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. We've had freedom this whole time. Now, they might be alluding to their belief that they're counted as righteous because of their relationship to Abraham. They might be thinking that. Jesus, we're free to worship God. 
He chose us. We're His chosen nation. We're free from His wrath because we're descendants of Abraham. We have the circumcision. We're Jews. Then Jesus says something that's true for all of us in verse 34. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is telling us it's not the problem with how much we've sinned, but it's rather that we have sinned. That we have sinned. Throughout the New Testament, it's clear that those who are not in Christ, those who are not believing in Him, it says they're a slave to their sin. They're in bondage to it. They're totally under the control of their sinful desires. Paul reminds us that our natural heart condition in Ephesians 2, right before the Holy Spirit comes in and gives us new life, before we're born again, man's natural heart condition is spiritually dead. It's following Satan and his influences, living as children of disobedience, children of wrath. Jesus is affirming this statement and saying, anyone who has sin is a slave to their sin. Anyone who is not a true disciple, who is not abide in my word, who doesn't know the truth, is not free from their sin. Now in Bible times, I just have to say this, in Bible times, slavery was different than what we think of when we look back to our own nation's history of slavery. It wasn't based off of race, hatred, or value. Right? It wasn't thinking, oh, I'm, I'm better than this person, so, so you've got to treat me better. It wasn't based on that. Rather, biblical slavery was all about paying debts, paying off debts. If you owed a debt that you could not pay, you could make it right, you could pay it off by becoming a slave. And the fancy word for this is called indentured servanthood. You would be a willing slave to pay off a debt and you would have freedom eventually. There was a promise of freedom once you pay off your debt. Now the Bible's clear that when it's, we're not the Bible's clear, but when, we, when a slave becomes free, it's called redemption. They're redeemed. It's actually where that word comes from, to be redeemed. Their debt was wiped clean. It's erased. It's forgiven. They went away free. And what is Jesus saying here in the text? He's saying that, only the Son, only Him, Jesus, can set you free. Only He can redeem us. Not Abraham, not the Pharisees, not the Scriptures, not your good works, not the synagogues, but me. And that's His claim. And if you want to write this down or turn there real quick, Romans chapter 6, verse 5. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 5, Paul says this, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we certainly shall be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You notice the phrase, no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. What's the promise Paul's making? When we die to ourselves, and we, 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 we are united with a death like Jesus, where rather, instead of being a slave to sin, we're no longer slaves, we're free. And in Jesus, we have the freedom to what? We're free from being enslaved by our sin. We can say no to sin 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're also free from the penalty of our sin. Not a lot of people like to talk about that, but there's a penalty. There's a transaction. Every time we sin, what we get back is death. That's what we're owed when we sin. And here's the good news. Jesus redeemed us. He purchased us. He set the slaves free, spiritually speaking, with His own blood as He died on the cross. As He said, we're free indeed. Amen. And as we move into the next part of the discussion, Jesus sets up the idea that in verse 38, they have different fathers. Jesus doesn't reject their physical descendants of Abraham. He admits it. Yes, I know you're children of Abraham physically, but now we're going to see the spiritual sons and the spiritual daughters and who the spiritual children and who their fathers are. In verse 38, Jesus has a transition, says this, I speak of what I have seen with my Father, God, and you do what you have heard from your Father. And the second point, who is your father? Who is your father? Verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of My own accord, but He sent Me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear My Word. Here we continue to see the tension building up between Jesus and the Jews. And what is He saying? They tell Jesus, Jesus, Abraham's our father. But then Jesus replies back with, a, with confronting them with the truth. Saying, if you really were Abraham's true children, if he was your father, you'd be acting and doing the same things, the same works that Abraham did. Abraham had faith in God. He obeyed God's word. He trusted in His promise. He worshipped God. Unlike Abraham who loved God, these Jews wanted to kill God. They sought to kill Jesus. They hated Him. Again, Jesus tells them, you are doing the works of your Father. And there's still like a little bit of mystery. Who, who is He talking about? Who's our Father, Jesus? And instead of, <clears throat> I shouldn't say instead of, it's no surprise the Jews' response back to Jesus was another insult at Him. They took a jab at the controversy that surrounded His, his birth. In verse 41, Kind of randomly, it seems like, you know, if you didn't know or if you missed it, it says, we were not born of sexual immorality. Why, why would they bring that up? That'd be a little weird. However, I believe based on this and other, test, and other gospels and other um, verses, it's clear that the Jews knew that Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. That there was a sort of scandal because who is his father? Jesus, who's your father? And what they're doing here is they're taking a jab at Jesus' birth. Well, at least we weren't born of sexual immorality. Our mother wasn't an adulterer. Our mother didn't cheat on, 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 our, on our husbands. And we know that's not the case. We, we have God's Word. We know that. They say we have one Father, even God. Now they're claiming God to be their Father. Right? Jesus, we know who our Father is, unlike you. We weren't conceived through sin. We know our Father. It's God. 
And notice how they move from Abraham being their father now to God. Jesus rejects them as truly being Abraham's children because of how they treat him. So now they make a claim of God being their father. And again, Jesus tells them the truth and says, if you were really children of God, you would love me because I came from him. He sent me here. The Jews can't seem to win with Jesus. If they claim to be Abraham's children, they should love Jesus. If they claim to be God's children, they should love Jesus. They should rejoice in his words. Now Jesus makes the claim and tells them who their father really is. Let's pick up and reading verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of a sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the verses that Mark read, same author from 1 John, we, we, I hope you're picking up on a lot of the connections we're reading here and what John will write in his other, his other letter. Right, take a moment, think about what Jesus has just done. The crowd's divided, there's tension building up. We're Abraham's children, no you're not. We're God's children, no you're not. If you were, you'd love me. And they might be thinking, then who's our father, Jesus? He just said it. The devil. The Jews, God's chosen nation, right? the physical descendants of Abraham, the Pharisees are there, the religious leaders are there as well. The truth that's just revealed is that their father is not God. It's not Abraham, but it's the devil. And their will, their desire, is to do their father's desire. In these verses, Jesus defines sonship. And not in terms of biology, not in terms of blood, but rather by obedience. And that's important. What makes someone a child of God? According to Jesus, if you love Jesus, because he does the work of God, that's verse 42. What makes someone a child of God? When they hear Jesus' words and obey. That's verse 47. And on the flip side, what makes someone the son or daughter of Satan? Why is Satan their father? Jesus tells them because they hate the truth that Jesus gives. They hate it so much that they want to murder him. And they don't hear his words. They are disobedient to him. That's verses 43 and 44. They're acting the same way as Satan. Their hatred of Jesus. They reject Jesus. And in being in youth ministry, it's crazy, but there's also a lot of sometimes sad phrases you hear. There's a lot of misunderstandings. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with students or I had them write down some, you know, what makes you a Christian. And I've gotten a response like this. Well, I'm a Christian because my mom and my dad are Christians. I'm a Christian because my grandma goes to church. I'm a Christian because fill in the blank. Right? Instead of a personal faith, a personal relationship with Jesus, they think their eternal salvation is covered because of who they're related to. And it sounds very similar to what we're reading with the Jews here. And I have to be clear here, we're not saved by anyone else's faith. 
It's not our moms. It's not our, our fathers. It's not our grandfathers, grandmothers, uncles, aunts. Right? As we share the Gospel with others, it's important to point them to the truth that we're only saved through a personal faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. Being a child of God is based on love and obedience, hearing Jesus' words and obeying them. And here we get to the final interaction between Jesus and the Jews. Right? What causes them to pick up the stones to murder Him? Point number three, we see Jesus' claim. Let's pick up reading verse 48. Jesus' claim. The Jews answered Him, Are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jew said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Or I like it this way. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and I keep his word. Let me pause here for a moment. One of the claims Jesus makes here, he claims again, I know I sound like a broken record, he claims to give life. He claims life. In verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now the Jews again are, think, are thinking physically, not spiritually. Right? They claim that Jesus, you have to be out of your mind. You're acting like someone who's demon-possessed because Abraham and all the prophets kept the word of God, yet they all died. They are physically no longer here. They again ask and question Jesus, who are you to make this outrageous claim? Who do you think you are? Are you greater than our father Abraham? The Jews had a lot of pride, a lot of hope in their father Abraham. Their hope of being God's chosen people came through Abraham. He's the father of their faith. And they're thinking, surely no one could be greater than Abraham. And we'll pick up in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jew said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He claims to give life. The second claim we see, he claims to be God. He claims to be greater than Abraham. He's God eternal. He takes on that holy name of God. We saw in the I am statement, I am the bread of life. We saw in I am the light of the world. We see here before Abraham was I am. It brings us back to Exodus chapter 3 where Moses says, God who, what, what's your name? Who should I say sent, sent me? And God says, send them I am who I am. I am. We sing about it, right? We sing the song, Great I Am. 
And what Jesus is doing is he's taking the holy name Yahweh here and he's saying, that's me. I am Yahweh. I am God eternal. He tells them that he comes before Abraham. Why? Because he's eternal. He's the eternal God who created their father, who Abraham worshipped and rejoiced in. It's a clear claim of Jesus' divinity. And because of this claim, the Jews are so offended that they actually pick up the stones to carry out the death sentence, a blasphemy on Jesus. And we talked about this on Wednesday, and I joked saying, oh, you, you spoiled some of my ideas for the sermon. But a few weeks ago, we read that the Jews were trying to trick Jesus into making Jesus carry out the capital punishment so that the Romans would see that and the Romans would arrest him. Why? Because only the Romans could carry out capital death punishment. The Jews could carry out their internal affairs, but once it was a death penalty, the Romans could only do that. And now we see in their blind rage, in their hatred of Jesus, they're the ones who now pick up the stones to throw at Jesus, to actually carry out the death penalty. And it's crazy because if the Romans saw this, all of them would be guilty. They can't do that under Roman occupation. It's just, uh, it speaks to their hatred of Jesus. How much they hate His Word. And how much they're offended that Jesus took on the name of God. That is claim of Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And I have to say this. There's an argument that a lot of people try to make. They say that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever claim to be God. And this verse, if you memorize it, John 8.58, it kind of has a nice ring to it, John 8.58. Right? This is a clear claim of Jesus to be God. You could defend your belief this way. It's so outrageous and scandalous of what Jesus has just said that they try to murder him for blasphemy because he took on the name of God for himself, calling himself Yahweh. So what is Jesus' claim here? He claims to give life to all who hear his word obey. And his claim is that he is God eternal. And what an amazing hope and encouragement that we have in Jesus. We were all slaves of our sins. Sons and daughters following Satan. But Jesus came to call us out of that slavery. He himself came to redeem us from our spiritual bondage, to release us from the penalty of sin by taking on our death penalty on the cross for us. And if you've noticed, I strategically picked some songs out this morning that talk about free, that we're free, that we're freedom, that we are adopted as sons and daughters. As Jesus says, we've been, or as Paul says, we've been transferred from the dark to light when we come to faith. And I want to end with this verse, Romans 6.22. The Apostle Paul says this, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap, what you get, leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. And we find joy and praise God for that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We praise you this morning. We thank you that as we read that you came in pursuit of us, 
that You came to save and to redeem us. There are often times where I think, there's no way. There's no way. I don't deserve it. But Lord, thank You that You don't give us what we deserve. We thank You that You gave us Your grace and Your mercy. That what You gave us is a gift. And that gift is eternal life for all those who believe and obey Your Word. So Jesus, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that's just stuck in their sin, that their, 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 their sin is consuming them, and it's getting, they're getting drawn further away from You, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit they confess that sin to You and they remember that we are not bound to our sin. We are not trapped in our sin. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God inside of us, we have the power to overcome our sinful temptations. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that does not know You as their Lord and Savior, or maybe they had their faith because their mom or their dad or their grandparent or their siblings had faith and they thought they were covered. I pray that by the Holy Spirit they're convicted of their sin and realize that it's only through a personal relationship with You that they're saved. I pray that we continue to abide in Your Word. It's easy to make a declaration. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian and I love You. But Lord, we need You to help us as we navigate through this life, as we walk with darkness all around us, as we are getting tempted into sin, to remember to abide and stay connected to You. I pray for the strength to persevere, for the reminder of the freedom that we have, that we're free from the penalty of our sin, and that the hope we have of eternal life. And I pray that that is our joy, and that is the reason why we go out and we make disciples. I pray, Lord, this week as we head back home, Lord, as we might have people coming over for, for a football game later tonight, I pray, Lord, that when people look at us, they see us different than the world. And they see us, and we can tell them that we are sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted into His family, and so can you if you believe and obey Jesus' word. So Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your sacrifice. It's in your holy, precious, powerful name we pray this in. Amen.